0: So what is the worst piece of advice that you have ever received? I want you to think about that for a second. What is the worst piece of advice that you have ever received? You know, a lot of people are really, uh, really want to help you out and give you some advice. But uh, some, of it's, some of it's really good. Some of it might not be so good. And I remember one time uh, I was on staff at a church and you're about to understand why I'm not going to say what church or who the pastor was that told me this, but I was on staff at a church and I was really young and uh, me and a few other really young college guys were on staff and the pastor brought us in one day and um, we had a, a conversation about ministry and pastoring and being in the ministry. And he was trying to you know build us up and encourage us and, and equip us and train us and disciple us and how to be in the ministry. And we're sitting there in his office and and he says says these words. He says, the thing you got to understand about being in any sort of leadership position or being in the ministry is you can never let your people see you bleed. I was like, okay. I was like, so like, what do you mean by that? And he says, and he said, you know, that if people see you bleed, they will think you're weak. And I was thinking he was more talking along the lines of, you know, you got to be some sort of example of faithfulness and those type of things. But he literally was just saying, you cannot let people see you bleed because they will think that you are weak and it's just not going to work good. The problem is, at least in my opinion, I I, I thought that was bad advice, or at least now I do. Back then, I thought it was decent advice because I didn't know any better. And some of you, you may feel the same way. But I now think that that was bad advice because pastors are just people too. And so if we put ourselves, or if you're a teacher in the church or a leader in the church, any type of ministry position in church, sometimes we as Christians and as churches try to elevate people above who they actually are. And so as a pastor, I'm just another person. Right, And so if I go around and never let people see me bleed, or in other words, never show any fault or any weakness, then what I'm doing is one, I'm putting on a facade and I'm lying and being a hypocrite. But two, people never see that, hey, you can still serve God and not have it all together yet. Because we're all still works in progress. And one of the things that I see in scripture is that when we realize how unable, and how weak we really are, that's when God's strength is really found. That God's strength is found in our weakness. And that's really what Paul is gonna be really hammering into in this passage is the need for God's strength. The need for God's strength in our lives as we try to live for Christ. And so as we look in Ephesians in chapter three, verses 14 through 21, what we're going to be looking at is a prayer that Paul prays for the Christians in Ephesus. And he's really, he's praying that they might be strengthened to be able to know who God is, to know God's strength and realize how much God intends to do through them by his power. Why would all that be important though? Well, it's because of what Ephesus is. You see, Ephesus, it's a town, right? It's a, it's a city, in Rome or within the Roman Empire. And the cities in the Roman Empire, they all had these goddesses or gods, little g-gods, that were kind of in control over the city. And so in, in Ephesus, the, the god that was in control was the god Diana, or you might have heard it more as Artemis. And so what the people in Ephesus would do is they would have these little little idols that they would make And they would have these idols that were made of silver specifically of Diana or of Artemis. And they would worship Artemis. And so if you were a shop owner in that town or you were coming in town to do business, you would swing by the nearest silversmith, grab one of those idols, put it on your cart so that people knew that, hey, I serve the God of Artemis, too, so you can do business with me. The problem, though, we see is that the gospel exploded so much in Ephesus that it changed a major industry in that city. The gospel exploded so much that people were throwing away their idols. And the silversmiths, their businesses were crum- crumbling. We, see, we look about that in Acts chapter 19. That the coppersmiths, the silversmiths, the people that were making these idols... We're going out of business because so many people were turning from idols and trusting God. And so what did they do? They began to riot. They caused issues within the community. And it became a little bit more difficult to live out your faith in that community and in that that city. And so in Acts 19, we see where Paul is in Ephesus. And we know that the letters to 1 and 2 Timothy, they're written by Paul to Timothy, who is the pastor in the church in Ephesus. And so we, we have all this information that we know about Ephesus and who, Ephesus, or who the city of Ephesus uh, represented and all those things. And, and because of that, Paul is writing this letter, one of the reasons, to them so that one, they may know true doctrine, but two, how to live that doctrine out. And that's the hard part. Like we can know the truth, but the hard part is living out the truth. Sometimes we fill ourselves up with knowledge, but we don't exactly know how to apply that knowledge in our life and in our everyday life. And so in this first half of the book of Ephesians, what Paul has been doing is he has been laying out the foundation of doctrine, of teaching, of the gospel, so that in this next half of the book, he can show how all of that, relates to how we live our daily lives. But before he even gets into that, he starts with prayer. And that's something we, we would do good to understand. The reason he starts with prayer is because if we go at living our life as Christians just on our own power, then what are we doing? Well, we're just being moral people trying to do good. But if we pray and ask for God's strength and God's blessing, then we're living On mission for Christ, and God will be honored and God will be glorified. And so as we dive into this passage, let's go ahead and go to the Lord and ask him to help us as as we dive in. Father, as we look at your word, we ask that you would help us with this, that you would show us the truth of your son and the salvation that you have brought to us by your son. And Father, would you have your spirit and guide us into all understanding? Would you grow our faith? Would you strengthen us? Uh, in our faith, and would you help us to to rely on you for our strength, knowing that we are completely unable without your help. So Father, we need your help this morning to understand your word and to live for you. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And so one of the things that Paul's going to be doing throughout the remainder of this book is really showing how these truths that were found in the first three chapters, how they work out in our daily lives. And that's important for us to remember is that the gospel is meant not just for a Sunday morning Christianity, that it's meant for a everyday life Christianity, that when we, when we leave from this place, we're not leaving the mission, we're not leaving the gospel behind, but really we are a people that are sent out into the community. Uh, the, the, the gospel is not something we hold privately. It is a private thing, but it's also a very corporate, a very public thing. And so we are called to live out our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ in every facet of our life, in our homes, in our workplaces, in, in the community, at the marketplace, wherever it is, we are called to live out the gospel. After all, the, the great commission that God gave, that Jesus gave to the church in Matthew in chapter 28 says, go into all the world and make disciples. And a lot of times we think of the, of the verb there as to go. That's the action we're supposed to do. But the literal way that the language reads is as you are going, make disciples. In other words, as you're living your life, as you're going to the store, as you're going to work, as you're sitting in that classroom, help people to know and follow Jesus. And really, that, that's a complicated thing, isn't it? Like, To really think about how all of our life is to be revolving around helping other people to know the truth about Jesus and to trust Jesus. In fact, I would say that's impossible for us to do on our own because on our own, we still fight against sin. We still fight against complacency. We still fight against uh, worrying about what other people might think of us if we live like a person that is sold out for Jesus, but yet the gospel still still beckons us to go and tell and help other people know and trust Jesus. And so Paul, I believe, is right to start right here where he's at in praying for God to strengthen the church, praying for God to strengthen the Christians in the church in Ephesus. And that's something that we should do too. We should be praying for strength, praying for strength to live out the gospel. After all, what I believe this passage is really going to be teaching us is that God gives you the strength to live on mission for Him. That God is the one who gives you the strength and the ability to live for Him in a way that you are able to help others come to know Him, trust Him, and follow Him. And so, as we dive into this passage in verse 14, we see that Paul is going to start off in prayer. And if you remember, Back in chapter in chapter three, verse one, it says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And then he breaks off of what he was going to say and begins talking about the mystery of God and how great God's salvation has been. And then in verse 14, he picks back up saying once again, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And so he's bowing his knees, he's bowing in prayer before the Father. And then he goes on to talk about how, how God, is so great and so magnificent and so in control of all things that he is even the one who names every family on earth and every family in heaven. And we see that right there in verse 15. He, he bows his knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now that, that's an odd phrase to put there because it seems out of place from the rest of the passage. But what I think Paul may be doing here is really pointing to just how much power and how sovereign or in control that God is. You see, our names, though they were given to us by our parents in most cases, were really given to us by who? God. And so my name may be Stephen. My last name may be Davenport. But ultimately, God was instrumental in making sure that my name is what it is. Now, that seems crazy, right? That God would be so concerned about what our names are. But we see here that if God is so concerned about what our names are, if he is sovereign over that, over those smaller details of our life, that he is going to be even more in control and even more sovereign over the greater things in our life. In other words, how we live for him. And so, there in verse 14, 15, he starts this prayer to God, the father. He's saying it is the one true God. It's not Diana. It's not Artemis. It's not any fake God. He is praying to the one and true God. And then he says what he's praying for. He's praying that God might grant them peace. Read there verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. And so his first prayer here is that they would have inner strength, inner peace. And where does that strength, where does that peace, where does all of that come from? Notice what it says there through the spirit, through the spirit of God circumstances may not change when you follow Christ. Sometimes we we go to Christ and we try to follow Christ thinking that God's going to make all of our circumstances better than what they are. And that might happen, but it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that if you follow Christ, everything is going to be great. But what we do have is the promise that God will be with us and that God will strengthen us. And so our circumstances may not change, but our perspectives do. Our perspectives of how life is working out and what's going on in life change. I think of Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. You can imagine if you're a Christian in that city and now you have these business leaders that are frustrated and angry with you because you have disrupted their source of income. And so since you've disrupted their source of income, they're mad at you and they hate you and they hate the gospel. And they're causing issues all in town. And yet, as Christians, we're called to stand in the face of that and continue to continue to serve Christ, continue to show love toward our enemies and toward our neighbors. And so the circumstances, if anything, for the Ephesian Christians, they didn't become better. They became harder. And that might be how it is for us from time to time. That as you follow Christ, things may not get better circumstantially. But we have that promise that God is always going to be with us through it all. I'm making a great sales pitch for following Christ, aren't I? Just great. Great. Right, but that's the truth of the matter is that sometimes in this life we're gonna have hardship, and sometimes that hardship is going to be because we follow Christ. But we have that promise that God is gonna be with us through every step that we take, that He will never leave us, that He will never forsake us, that no one can separate us from God and who God is, and God is going to give us that inner strength to keep going and keep pressing on because on our own, we're weak. We can't do it on our own. And as a guy, I don't like being told that. I don't like being told that I can't do it on my own. But at the end of the day, I could even save myself on my own, much less live for God on my own. And that's really what we see in the first three chapters of Ephesians. It's how God's Grace and power was so at work within us that He saved us and brought us from death to life. And now God is praying for those that have been brought from dead to life to be able to live their life in the power of God. And I go back to Philippians in chapter 4, verse 7, and I think of what Paul writes to the Christians in Philippi. And he says, rejoice in everything. Again, I say rejoice. Make your supplications and your prayers known to God. And then he says in chapter 4, verse 7 of Philippians, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the difference between a person whose world's falling apart, that doesn't follow Christ, and another person who follows Christ and their world's falling apart the same way? What's the difference? Their perspective their strength, and their peace. You see, the one who doesn't follow Christ, when their world's falling apart, they may be asking, why me? Why is my life so bad? There's no purpose in any of this. There's no meaning in any of this. They may be running around trying to fix everything on their own, only realizing that they cannot fix some of these circumstances. And ultimately, they're left in despair and helpless. But the one who follows Christ, they understand that God is at work even in the hard times to bring about something good. They understand that God is never going to leave them, never forsake them. They cling to the promise that God is a good God who cares for them and loves them. And then they understand that God will give them peace and that peace will comfort them and give them the strength to keep going through this life no matter how hard it gets because we understand that in the end, we win. In the end, we win. Not because we're great, but because God is great and God is the one who wins and he welcomes us to share in his victory. And so God gives us that strength to live for him. That's why he prays there. He prays that they would be strengthened by the spirit in their inner being so that they may live for him. And God does the same thing for us. He helps us to have the strength and the courage to live for him. But we also see there in in verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Do you realize that that strength that God gives us, that inner peace that God gives us, that that spirit that abides in us, produces faith inside of us. That God's spirit produces faith inside of us. That Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And then we move on in verse 17 also, seeing another reason that God, Paul is praying and another result of god 's strength in our life is that we would know love that we would know true love and that that love would be a motivating and guiding principle of our lives uh, this one guy who shares gospel a lot you'll see sometimes you can see him on YouTube or different things where he's going around and he's sharing the gospel with people and and he was talking to this one Christian one time. And this Christian was saying, hey, let's pray for more opportunities to be able to share the gospel. And that sounds great, right? Praying for more opportunities to share the gospel. And that's definitely something we pray about. But what struck me is this guy said, how many people do you come in contact with on a daily basis? And so the guy said, I don't know, several, right? I go to work, I go to the store. I mean, I come in contact with multiple people. And so the guy guy was telling this other guy, he said, Well, the opportunities are already there. I think we should be praying for more love. I was sitting there and trying to think about that and what he said. And then he he was uh, saying a little bit more about that. He was saying, saying, you know, the the fields are white for harvest, like we hear Jesus say. The fields are white for harvest, but the laborers are few. And then he began to also say, you have opportunities all around you for people to hear the gospel, to, to hear the truth from you. And we need to just be praying for more love. And so that's what Paul is doing here is praying that they would be rooted and grounded in love. And that is a good thing to be rooted and grounded in. But we need to understand that this love is a different type of love than the world's love. You see, this love is not self-seeking. It's not a love that is, I'm going to love you as long as you love me. That's not the type of love we're talking about here. Uh, it's not a love that is purely a lustful idea. No, the love we're talking about here, the love that Paul's talking about is a sacrificial, self-giving love. Did you know that the world doesn't know what true love is. That apart from Christ, we never can understand what true love is. Surely we can say that we love somebody. Surely we can show that we love somebody, but we never understand just how big a deal love is unless we know who Christ is. Because in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, we read that we love because He first loved us. We love because God first loved us. And how did He first love us? Us. Well, that's the great thing about God's love is that God didn't wait for us to get all of our ducks in a row. He didn't wait for us to get everything perfect in our life. He didn't wait for you to get yourself cleaned, showered, shaved, and all put together. He didn't wait on any of that. He instead, in the midst of your mess, in the midst of your mistakes, in the midst of my mess and my mistakes and my brokenness and your brokenness, He came and he died for you, despite all those things. We read about that in Romans 5. God showed his love for us, demonstrated love for us, that while we were still sinners, what did Christ do? Christ died for us. And here's the crazy thing about that. I'll think of Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 is all about how God knows everything about us We cannot escape from his presence. That's the first part of it. But then as you dive into it, it then goes and starts talking about how God knits you together in your mother's womb. That he sees the unformed substance in everything and just knits it all together and makes you into this beautiful masterpiece. And then it goes on to say that he knows all the days of your life, every one of them, because they are written in his book. All of it. All the good stuff, all the bad stuff, and all the bad things you would ever do. God knows every bit of it. And if you have been with us as we've been going through the book of Ephesians, you'll know that in Ephesians chapter 1, this is where it gets crazy. That God knowing all of those things about us. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says... according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. The him knowing all of our bad before we were ever born, before he ever created this world, still decided to save you still decided that he would step down from all of his glory, all of his splendor in heaven and come to earth as a man and be mistreated, despised and rejected by the people he created. And he did it all because he loved you. And out of that love, he saved you. He made you new. And he is going to get the glory out of that. And that love is the basis for our love. That love is a love that we can show even to people we don't like. Even to people that get on our nerves. Even the people that are rude toward us, we can still show the love of Christ toward. Because if Christ showed love to us who were his enemies we certainly can show love to those that are around us. And so Paul prays that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that love would be their motivating factor. And then he goes on to say that not only that, that they may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth? This is verse 18. What is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth? And to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge and all understanding how great the love of Christ is for us. The love of Christ, that he shed his blood for us to make us his own. And then he goes on in verse 20, and he just goes into praise. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. So, notice a lot of this in the first part has been all about how you may do this and you may be strengthened, you may be filled with God's peace, that you may know the love of Christ. But then, as we get into verse 20, he shifts from talking about the individual to talking about the collective. And he says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. You see, God is able to do far more in us than we could ever believe that he could do. And he's ending with praise because he's giving credit to God who is the one who is able to make this happen. You see, God is the one who has saved us. He's made us his own. But he's also the one that is giving us the strength to live for him in our daily life. And so this passage serves as a closed door to the first three chapters of the book and opening the door into the last three chapters. The first three talking about God's power, God's grace that saves you and brought from death to life. And now talks about, as we move into chapter 4 through the rest of the book, how we live out that gospel in our daily life. And he goes to the Lord and he's asking for strength because God is the one who gives us the strength to live on mission for him. And as we live on mission for him, as we live our lives, trying to help other people know Christ, we would be amazed to see what all God can do. He can do far more than we could ever ask or we could ever think. You know, we were praying the other night for a... a a uh, ministry that that goes on, and we we were praying and just asking that the Lord would move in the lives of these people. And I, can I tell you a story about that? The very next day, a person came up and was talking to me and saying how God had just been moving in her life, and that she's wanting to learn more about how to live out her faith in this world, guys. I never talked to that person about that. But the night before, we as a church prayed for God to be moving in the lives of people. And then a person came and talked to me about how God had really been giving them a burden to know more about them. You see, God does amazing things and he can do far more than we could ever imagine or we could ever think. And he does all of it for his glory. And so as we go through the rest of this book, my encouragement for you is that we would go through it prayerfully, asking God for strength, asking God for his strength to live the life he has called us to live because he's the one who does it. He gives us the strength to live for him in our homes. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. He gives us the strength to live for him in the church. He gives us the strength to live for him in our communities. But he also gives us the strength to live for him in our own hearts. And to wage war against sin in our own hearts. And so my encouragement for you today is that you would pray that you would be strengthened by God to be able to live for him. That you would pray not only for yourself, but for one another this week. That God would give you the strength to live for him each and every day, and then as we go through the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at what that looks like in our life as we seek to live for him, but until then, I want you to begin with prayer. Begin praying for the love and the opportunities that you might have to live for Christ in your homes, in your workplace, where you go to the store, where you spend your time, where you have fun. And it's amazing how many spiritual conversations you can have around a fire with your friends or with your family when you're just hanging out. How many conversations you can have about spiritual things just at lunch while you're at work. How many spiritual conversations you can have at your home with your family. Be praying for those things and ask God to be strengthened in you as you seek for those things. But be ready. I promise you, if you start praying for that, he's going to provide opportunity for it. He's going to provide opportunity for it. And so we need to be prayed up for his strength. Because the God who gave himself for us so that we might know him, we might be forgiven. is the same God who gave himself for uncountable numbers of other people that we come in contact with every day. And so the same God who seeks and saves us is the same God who seeks and saves others. And we just get the blessing to be an instrument in his hands, to be used by him, to help others come to know him too. But it all starts with being prayed up, asking for his strength to be at work in us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that you are a God who not only saves us, but transforms us. And that you help us to live for you in our daily life. And Father, we ask that you would be providing us opportunities and love to be able to live for you and have those spiritual conversations, Lord. That you would help us, Lord, to to know just how much you love us, just how much that you have done to see us into your presence and to forgive us. And Father, we pray for your strength because we know we need your strength to be able to live for you in this world. And so, Father, give us your strength that we might glorify you in this world and that we might share the hope that we have with those around us. Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.